0: Are you tired of weak Christianity that cannot be clearly distinguished from our culture? How can we help change this faith crisis? Find out on today's episode of A View From The Wall.
1: Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor, Joe Kerr, with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be
0: watchmen this is a view from the wall welcome to a view from the wall I'm Dylan Burrows along with co-host Joseph Kerr and like you we're concerned at the weakened state of Christianity in our nation is there anyone addressing this issue Well, we found one voice that is. Matt Walsh joins us today with his new book, Church of Cowards. His podcast, The Matt Walsh Show, enjoys a huge following, and his columns at DailyWire.com have been read by millions. Matt is known for his controversial and provocative insights into culture, politics, and religion. He lives outside of Baltimore, Maryland with his wife and children. Matt, welcome to A View from the Wall. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you with us, and we've been enjoying your new book, "Church of Cowards," and absolutely love it. It's a hard-hitting message that addresses what many Christians have been thinking but have been unable to articulate. So, let's start by telling us a little bit about the story behind your book, "Church of Cowards."
2: Yeah, well, it's a it's a book that I wrote to address you know a question that so many uh, Christians have that I that I talk to, which is uh, broadly speaking, you know why why is the church in America the Christian church? Um, dwindling. Uh, why, why is it on the decline? And we, we, we hear right. uh, every year. It seems like we hear a new survey or study that's been done showing that uh, the number of Christ- professing Christians is uh, lowering, while you know the number of atheists and secularists is raising. Them. And, and the question I wanted to, to answer is why is that? Um, I, I think we all know the problem. Uh, mm-hmm. The question, though, is why. And of course, there are many things we could talk about, but. For me, the number one thing when I when I look at uh, the church in the West, it's complacency as we're all sort of floating on the tide of the culture, uh, going wherever the culture takes us. And our culture is taking us into secularism and atheism and nonbelief.
3: Matt, what are some of the specific areas where, as a church of cowards, you see the church cowering?
2: Well, that's a very long list, unfortunately, and growing. It seems to me, growing, growing by the day. But the, the big things are the so-called, uh, you know, social issues. I think those are those are the foundational issues where the church needs to be engaged uh, on 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 matters that touch on life, uh, marriage, family, gender. Even is now, I think, a topic, unfortunately, that's up for debate. Suddenly. Uh, in, one of the church needs to be engaged on. So those, those are the issues. And I, and I think that there are, you know, there are obviously many Christians out there that are avid pro lifers, that are avid pro family, uh, advocates. But I think there hasn't been nearly enough leadership on, on, on these issues. And, and that's, that's pretty obvious because if we, you know, even according to the poll numbers, it would tell us that, whatever it is, 70 or 80% of America is Christian, Um, well, if if all Christians were really engaged on these issues and cared deeply about them, then we wouldn't have, for example, 60 million dead children through abortion um, since Roe v. Wade. That that wouldn't be, that couldn't possibly happen in a country where 70% are actually uh, Christian as opposed to just Christian in name.
3: Matt, much of American history and, of course, by default, American politics and culture were once informed by the Christian church and, and the Bible. If that's not what's informing Christian culture nowadays, what is?
2: I think that, well, first of all, the, the problem is when you say Christian culture, um, I'm not sure that there, that there really is one exactly in America. Uh, I think that for most Christians, you know, they, they are propelled and fueled, uh, guided the same way that anybody else is, any secular person, um, media, Hollywood, internet, just sort of the the crowd, the mob, what everyone else is doing, um, academia—you know—is a big one, of course. Corporate America, advertising—these I mean, th- are all these are all the things that are that we're, that are guiding all of us. Um, even even those of us who are aware of it, and, and, and on one level, I think we're all being uh, dragged in a certain direction by these forces. But for a lot of Christians, uh, because they're not very aware and don't care very much, they're being dragged sort of effortlessly um, in whatever direction these forces want to take them.
0: Matt, thanks so much for those words from your new book, The Church of Cowards. We'll be back with more here in a moment on A View from the Wall. Stick with us.
1: From I Am a Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am a Watchman Minute. This side of heaven, you may likely never see the full impact of your good work. Consider Moses. He did many great things, but likely never knew about one of the greatest things he did. You see, one of the people Moses led out of Egypt was a man named Nashon. Nashon had a son named Salmon. In those millions of people, it's doubtful Moses even knew Salmon. But because Moses was faithful, Salmon was born, and later he married Rahab, and they had a son, Boaz, who married Ruth, and they were the grandparents to King David. Jesus was not a descendant of Moses, Jesus was a descendant of Solomon, whose new life in the promised land was made possible by what God did through Moses. So do not grow weary in doing good. The seeds we plant will blossom in God's way and in God's perfect time. Be bold, be faithful, be a watchman. I am a watchman.com
0: Welcome back to A View from the Wall. This is Dylan Burroughs with Joseph Kerr, and we've been talking with Matt Walsh and his new book, Church of Cowards. So we dive right into your book. It starts off with this chapter that says, Christians are not worth killing, or Christians not worth killing is the exact title. It begins with this imaginary horde of bloodthirsty heathens landing on our shores to butcher Christians, But upon searching, they can't seem to find a true godly Christian or body of Christ to persecute. And I want to read just one quote from it. You put in there that they were not able to destroy the church because there wasn't much of a church left in America to destroy. Sorrowfully, gloomily, they walk back to their boats and sail away. They were not able to crush our Christian way of life because we don't have a Christian way of life. They were not able to destroy the church because there wasn't much of a church left in America to destroy. They were not able to behead the Christians because they couldn't find Christians to behead. They unsheathed their swords only to discover that what they came to kill was already dead. They had traveled all that way to persecute a corpse. Uh, Talk a little bit about that, if you would, and uh, what motivated that story.
2: Well, that was motivated by conversations I've had with many Christians where they, as I say in that chapter, I think a lot of Christians are worried about what they see, uh, in many other parts of the world in, in you know, parts of the Middle East and North Africa and, and Asia, uh, where there's real violent persecution of the church going on. And Christians are in, in fact, in those parts of the world, persecution is worse than it's ever been in history, just, just based on the numbers. Uh, maybe you wouldn't know that based on what the media says, because the media doesn't say anything about it at all. But, talking to a lot of Christians as I have, as we all have, you know, there's, there seems to be a real worry that, that eventually that will happen here. Um, and I've always found that worry to be sort of absurd because there's no reason it, it, that's, that's not happening here. It probably won't happen here right. because there's no reason for it. Um, there's, there's, I I think the forces of evil in the world can look and see that we are abandoning our faith without any encouragement from guns and knives and, and bullets and everything. Mm. Um, so there's just no reason. If, if you have, you know, if if Christians are marching themselves into damnation already as it is, then why would Satan want to interfere with that process?
3: Matt, since the first century, much of church history is, I guess, repetitive is a good way to put it. The church is on fire. That shifts to persecution. Then there's backsliding, then revival and kind of repeats. Where is the church today?
2: uh i you know i i think we're certainly in a in a period of persecution as i said across the world it's 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 uh, worse now than it's ever been before so i think that's the period that we're in there is persecution of the church happening in this country and in the west but it's not a violent persecution um it's a it's you know it's a it's a persecution largely something that satan is carrying out i think largely through Temptation, just just through uh, enticing Christians to abandon their faith, um, and that's you know, I, maybe we we could argue about whether or not that actually counts as persecution, but that's that's the attack anyway uh, that that we're
0: suffering here. Right. Well, it's good that you bring that up because you spend a good amount of time discussing subjects like hell and evil and the devil and demons that people don't talk about anymore. There's this chapter called The Diabolical Vanishing Act. I love your other book that we're not talking about today, but it actually starts out talking about how Satan was the first liberal, which I think is hilarious. Uh, but where is most of the church when it comes to this issue of, of a real hell and a real devil? And why does that matter when it comes down to application in our lives today?
2: Well I think that we can't that fact um, cannot be removed from the Christian message as much as we might like to and i I, I understand, of course understand the desire to ignore these things and to not want to think about them they're are not, not fun things to think about, but um the Christian message is that you know we all need to be saved in Christ's saving act on the cross, and so the question is what what are we being saved from exactly and so any any Christian who wants to uh, erase the idea of hell or minimize it, then that's just the question I would put to them. What exactly, what was Christ doing? What, what was the point of all that? What's the point of repentance? What's the point of any of this? When, when we talk about salvation, what 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 are, salvation from what? And I don't think there's an answer to that question that makes a lot of sense other than d-
0: damnation. Right. Well, it's good that you bring that up because, It's so obvious if you read the Bible itself that Jesus himself was tempted by Satan three times. How can you say there's no Satan or no hell when it comes into the scriptures talking about how the gates of hell will not prevail over the church? And so it's so important to talk about that today. And just the fact that you address that and have to bring it up is just a basic essential of the faith. We've been talking with Matt Walsh and his new book, Church of Cowards. We'll be back with another segment in just a moment. Stick with us here on A View from the Wall.
1: The Bible predicts the rapture of the church is coming. Are you ready? Soon many will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Only they will escape the dark days that are coming, a time of tribulation that will usher in the Antichrist and great destruction upon the entire earth. There's only one escape, one way, one light, one truth. His name is Jesus. He came and died so that we may live forever with Him but to receive this new life there are three things we must do the ABC's of salvation a admit you're a sinner and that you need a savior ask for forgiveness and receive his grace b believe that Jesus is the Son of God that he came lived died rose again and will come again believe that he is Lord and God c commit to walk his path the path He wants you to walk, and walk it out by faith. Then you'll be ready for the return of the Lord. To learn more about the rapture and how to know for sure, visit miraptureready.org.
0: view from the wall. This is Dylan and Joe. We've been talking with Matt Walsh on his new book. And as we start this next segment, we have one more chance with you to share some of the great content in this new book. In chapter seven, you discuss this missing voice in the church uh, where you call it the most unpopular position. And I want to talk about that a little bit while we have you on the radio today. Talk about what is this most unpopular position and why is it still important to address that as a church?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of. Uh, uh, you would have to remind me exactly which which unpopular position we're talking about in that exact chapter. But <laughs> I think that, I think there's a lot of uh, you know unpopular positions that we could take and in, in, in the, that we have to take in this culture today. Um, I mean, any 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 position, any moral position. Anytime you take a, a moral stand of any kind, and you you point to something and say that's not right, that's a sin, that's evil. Uh, anytime you do that, that's that's and, and we're told as Christians, we're not supposed to be doing that at all. And that's, which of course is exactly the opposite of the truth. Uh, And that's why, you know, things like tolerance and being welcoming and being accepting all these kinds of words, these are being put forward as the great virtues of the modern church. And in reality, it's not virtuous at all to be tolerant. There are certain things that we should tolerate. We should tolerate things that are tolerable, things that are good. Uh, we should do more than tolerate them. We should celebrate them, um, but that's not a—it's not a virtuous act. It doesn't doesn't take any effort to tolerate things. Uh, actual virtue requires sacrifice. It requires us to do things. You know, courage is a is a virtue because you're you're doing something and you're putting something on the line. That's why it's courageous. Uh, humility is a virtue because you're giving up your pride. And I think we've, we've abandoned all of the real virtues because they require too much of us. And and we talk about tolerance because the great thing about tolerance is that you can do that from your couch. You can, you can sit on your couch and tolerate everything in the world and do it very successfully. Um, and it's, uh, it doesn't require much from you.
0: Right, and there's so much that could be said, but a couple of verses you mentioned in your book that are important: Psalm 97, where it talks about "Let those who love the Lord hate evil," or Proverbs 8:13, "To fear the Lord is to hate evil." And you talk about how those verses are not looked at in a positive way many times in our culture today, and in fact, in that chapter, the most unpopular position, you talk about this tension in the church today where people try to say that in some way uh, gay relationships are something that could be celebrated or is acceptable within Christian teachings and how that goes against the history of the church. And you give three different views there. One, that either the Bible was wrong about homosexuality. Two, that it was wrong during biblical times, but it's no longer wrong. Or three, the Bible actually endorses homosexuality, but it, its approval is so subtle and hidden that nobody noticed it for twenty centuries until we came along and discovered it. None of those three views seem to add up, do they?
2: No, they don't. And and I think those really are the only options. Uh, now, the Christians who want to uh, celebrate the homosexual act or or say that it's not sinful, usually they're not going to engage and and and. Uh, choose one of those options. They're going to try to sidestep it entirely. But those are the options. There, there's, there's no other choice. There has to be, because those verses are there. Um, it is the, homosexuality, the homosexual act anyway, is talked about as a sin multiple times through the New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, so you have to do something with that. You can't just ignore it well you can't ignore it but that's I mean you can physically ignore it which of course is what a lot of Christians do but it doesn't make any sense to actually do that and um, you know if if you if you're honest about it and you look at the Bible and you see that okay those verses are there um, and if you if what you're saying is I can't accept that it just I just simply can't accept it I, I think that's wrong well okay that's 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 your point of view but then you're making a statement about the Bible, and you can't get around that statement. And the the statement about the Bible that you're making is that the Bible contains not just error, but it contains moral error, and not just moral error, but very serious moral error, uh, according to you. And if that's the case, then how can we say it's the Word of God? And if it's not, then on what basis do you call yourself a Christian at all?
3: Matt Paul refers to the last days church in Second Thessalonians, talking about a church that's departed from the faith or become apostate. Does that describe the church of cowards? Does that fit in there?
2: Uh, I, I think it certainly it, it certainly does. Um, it certainly applies. Now, I, I would stop short of saying that we're you know we're in the last days or the, the, that this is the end of times or anything like that. Um, I could see why people feel that way, and maybe it is. But, of course, we also know that Scripture says that nobody knows the day or hour, um, not even the sun. So we can't possibly know. And we also know that that, all Christians throughout history for the last 2,000 years, uh, there have been groups of Christians throughout history for the last 2,000 years who have thought that they're living in the end times, uh, going back all the way to the first century. And even a lot of the apostles' contemporaries thought that. So, and, and, and many every group of of Christians in every generation has had a good reason to think it when you look at the the things they were dealing with. I mean, if you lived in the middle ages when the black death was, was ravaging Europe and millions were dying, I mean, you you might look around at that and say, this is apocalyptic. It's the end times. Um, So who knows? I mean, who, who knows if we're actually facing the the end times, but another way, it doesn't, it doesn't really, doesn't matter actually, because, uh, if it mattered, then then God would tell us, but he doesn't. Uh, what we do know, though, is that it's our, it's our end times. You know, all of us, we're all going to die. Uh, whether or not there are more generations after us is a different question. It's not really our concern, exactly. But all of us have only, you know, at most 80 or 90 years on this earth. So um, we, we might as well operate as if it's the end of the world and, and repent and, and face our mortality.
0: Well, that's a good way to put it. I love the quote you have on uh, page 162 in your book I was just reading today. It says, we cannot separate mercy from repentance. The problem is that many churches try to do exactly that. And as we wrap up in our last couple of minutes with you today, Matt, and many of our listeners consider themselves watchmen or watchwomen. They want to end well. They want to do something that makes a difference in these days that we live in. What word of encouragement and hope can you give them, despite the things that we are seeing in our culture today and what you talk about in your book?
2: Well, I think that the great thing as Christians is that we have looked at the last page of the book. You know, we 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 know how it ends. Um, nice. You know, we've all we've all sort of cheated and and seen the end of the story, <laughs> um, and we know that that in the end all the, the tears will be wiped from our eyes, and there will be no more uh, mourning or pain or crying, and so we we know that that's ultimately the destiny uh, for any any faithful Christian. And that's that's our hope i I don't think we could we could ask for a better hope than that um or a more joyful message than that, but we also know that in the meantime there's going to be suffering and there's going to be sacrifice, and uh that's very difficult there's no minimizing it. we have to confront it but uh it's it's not for nothing it's all it's all leading somewhere, so we're not just in this world of pain and misery for no reason, and then we die and we're nothing, and we we dec- we decay um that would be a despairing message you know i don't if I if 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 you believe that I don't know, I'm not sure how you continue on with your life. It's just it's it's such a it's such a empty nihilistic way of looking at the world. But that's we know that that's not the truth, and, and we have that ultimate hope and that ultimate um, joy.
0: Yes, well, I love those words, that thought that we know the end of the story, and despite how difficult these times might be, that we have heaven to look forward to for those of us who know Christ. And we want to remind people that heaven is for anyone, but not everyone automatically goes to heaven. There is something that you have to do. There is faith involved. So if that's something you have doubts about or questions about, we do encourage people to go to Iamawatchman.com and find out more about a relationship with God. We also want to encourage you as we finish up our time with Matt Walsh today to check out his new book, The Church of Cowards. You can find out more about that at Iamawatchman.com and buy the book at our bookstore. You can also find out more at DailyWire.com and see his latest show or podcast there and catch up with that. We encourage you to do so. It's a great program. Matt, thanks for being with us on A View from the Wall today.
2: Thanks, Vlad. I really appreciate it.
0: We've enjoyed our time with Matt. He's been a fascinating guest, and his book, Church of Cowards, is one that we need to pick up and share and read and learn from for our lives today. One of my favorite quotes from the book is from Chapter 7. It says, It is one thing to prefer the new iPhone to the brick-sized mobile phone your dad carried around in his fanny pack in 1992. It is quite another to prefer newer notions of moral and theological truths To the moral and theological truths espoused by christ and affirmed by the church for two millennia in other words it's one thing to change our methods in terms of the time or our style Uh, that's just part of life but when we're talking about changing the beliefs and convictions that we've long held to as christians that's quite another thing and yet we see it happening more and more in our culture don't we joe
3: that's absolutely true Another place in the book, Matt references the mega church movement. And of course, my grandparents and many before us wouldn't even have a concept of what that meant, but uh, it certainly influenced the church culture in this age. And it's more than just methods. I think Matt pointed that out very well.
0: Yes, well, and so many examples that we can go to And we don't want to knock every church out there We know that just because a church is big It doesn't mean it's bad Just because it's small It doesn't mean it's good uh, There could be big churches that are strong Little churches that are strong And vice versa But it really comes down to Are we willing to stay firm on the message of the Bible When it comes to our key beliefs and convictions And we see a lot of these in his book As we talked in the interview today A couple that stand out to me One is this issue of our support for religious freedom in our own country. In the 1600s, people came from England to have religious freedom in a new land apart from the tyranny of England. And yet today we have to fight again here within our own country with our own citizens for the religious freedoms that we want to continue to pursue today. Are you seeing that as well?
3: Well, I think the current situation with the virus and all of the peripheral parts that have gone with that, edicts to close churches or interrupt services or prohibit churches to meet or sing uh as in the case in california is a perfect example of that and we as a church have embraced that as a way to endorse the government and to be uh paul's reference in romans to support the authorities above us but sometimes in some cases i think that's been taken too far and um we had uh pastor de on recently talked about that where we are supporting and doing our part as the church we ought to do that we have an obligation both morally and by scriptural edict to do that but where it becomes specifically pointing out the church and specifically saying the church is the problem that's where we have to draw a line
0: right and i talked with a friend about that just the other day a Christian leader who is sharing his concerns about how many pastors are simply rolling over and playing dead at the things that are coming out in our culture now. And of course, there was persecution or pushback to some religious freedoms before the pandemic. But even now, when you see that a protest for some racial issue might be totally fine, nobody's wearing a mask, nobody's concerned about social distancing. And yet in some churches, in some states, you're not even supposed to sing, not supposed to have large gatherings, not supposed to have services. And there's this. this. This contrast between how the church is treated and how other areas of life are treated and it's certainly something we should be concerned about. But the bottom line with all this is that we stand firm and we have courage in our faith. And I think Matt does a good job of pointing that out that uh, too much of the time, the concern is not the problems we see in our culture. It's our lack of facing those problems with the moral courage that we've been given. If the apostle Paul was living today in America, what would he do? What would he say? If John the Baptist was here with us today, what would he do? What would he say to speak out the truth in love in our time? That's what we wanna encourage you to do. And when we come back next time, On A View From The Wall, we'll talk more about this. And we appreciate you being with us this week for Matt Walsh and his program. Join us next time here on A View From The Wall.
1: A View From The Wall, in association with I Am A Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip Watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View From the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and join us again next time on A View From the Wall.